Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 107. We got down to verse 22, but I want to go back and read verse uh, 20 because we've been talking about people's problems and needs, especially their sicknesses. I want you to look at this and let this kind of stay in your mind. This would be a good verse to hang on to. It says, He sent His Word and healed them. And it's by God's Word and God's power that things happen to you and I today. And delivered them from their destructions. It says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. This is a refrain that's spoken of several times in this chapter. I think four or five times. And if you'll... Uh, look at verse 23. This is where we pick up. It says, well, we, we didn't read verse 22. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. So we need to show our appreciation for what God has done for us. And that sacrifice, the sacrifices of thanksgiving. That means to pay our vows, to do what we promised God that we will do. In verse 23 now, this is where we should pick up. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. You know, in the days of uh, the Old Testament, when they, when these words were written, we find that uh, the seas were much to be explored. And there was a great uh, danger of going out to sea. And even though they made ships, you know, uh, Solomon made ships to go to Tarshish for gold, I think, uh, or uh, for the gold of Ophir, wasn't it? And, he, and uh, he made ships to go and fetch gold. But in those days, we t- uh, find that the ships were many times a, a great adventure and they were in danger of going out to sea. And so unless they were doing business in the, in the waters, in the great waters, there would be no reason whatsoever. There was no, no such thing in those days of a pleasure cruise. You didn't find Solomon or any of the kings building ships to go out and just have a good time. They didn't know where the seas led or anything about it. And so it was very scary. It was very dangerous. But it said that they that go out to the sea in ships and that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. And these uh, mariners, they knew what it was to, to have the storms to come up and, uh, and the things that God had control of as forces of nature. Verse 25, it says, For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof. They realize that God Almighty is the one that commanded the stormy winds. He rules the sea. He takes care of the sea. He takes care of all the storms of life. He has, he's in control of all the storms that come in life. Not only as far as this, uh, the powers of nature is concerned, but he can take care of the storms in your life and mine. And it says, they mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the, uh, the depths, their soul is melted because of trouble. So they find that uh, there's great fear and great uh, danger when the seas are troubled and when there's great storms on the sea. It says, they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits' end. We find that uh, when the sea is tossing, I was telling Brother Randy the other day on the ship in the Navy, and I was on an aircraft carrier, that they had these big long tables that were just wide enough for two trays of food on there. Sailors sit on each side and they were about eight to ten feet long. And there's been many a time you'd hold that tray down and hold your cup of, of coffee as a mug and then try to eat with one hand and just make sure that everything didn't turn over or spill while you're trying to eat. 
And that's a pretty rough sea on a ship that large. Think of what the smaller ships were undergoing. I'm glad ours was a little bigger. But uh, it can be scary. It says they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. All their wisdom is swallowed up. They're at their wit's end. And in those days, they just did not know what to do. They would not know how to handle the situation when the storms were on the sea. They just had to do the best they could and realize that God was in control. It says, Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. God, the same God that sent the great wind, in verse 25, He commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, is the one that stills the storm. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Reminds me of in the days of Jesus when he still still the storms on the sea. We can all look back in our lives and see times that there were storms in our lives. Some of us have gone through them recently. Others in uh, days gone by. I can remember when I was a, just started preaching. Preached in a little old church in Deval, Oklahoma. Well, actually it's in the Piaton, a little north of Deval. And uh, had a good congregation, but as a young preacher, I made my share of mistakes, like all of us do. And I thought it, that everybody would love uh, my preaching. And, uh, you know, I found out that a lot of them didn't even like me, let alone the preaching. And, uh, and I found out, too, that when you'd make a mistake, instead of people saying, Brother Joyce, you know, we're going to help you, it wasn't there. It was criticism and condemnation and all kinds of stuff and... And I'll tell you, when you get in a situation when you're a young preacher and all that kind of stuff goes on, it's very discouraging when you've just surrendered your life to to preach the Word and then find out it's not so easy to do it and that everyone's not going to listen to you. By the way, I still make a few angry when I preach. They don't all like it today. They didn't like it then. They don't all like it today either. But anyway, uh, be that as it may, I finally figured out that I had to please God. But I tell you, talk about storms of life raging. I remember one time in a situation, and I used to sing this song. When the storms, there's, I looked it up tonight in one of the hymnals. I couldn't find it in most of them. It says, when the storms of life are raging, stand by me. And listen, God will stand by you when the storms. It says, in the midst of persecution, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. And it says, when my friends misunderstand... It says that God knows, thou that knowest all about me, stand by me. And so God stands by you, and he will stand by you. But the main thing is us to trust him, to deliver us out of the storms of life. And that's not just, I mean, through the years and time and time again, later on in the ministry, when I came out here to organize this church, I was at the point of death. A lot of people can't realize that, and when I say it, they, you know, they don't really realize it. I, I went straight to the hospital after driving from uh, Mount Pleasant to Fort Worth and Fort Worth to here, and they met me at the door with a wheelchair and gave me two shots of something, and one of them was adrenaline before I even got to a room because I could not get my breath. A week later, I was up and around, and about two weeks later, I was building me a house, the one I live in. As in October of 1958, in February of 1959, we had a church building already remodeled and going in that. And the Lord raised me up from that asthmatic condition to, I haven't had it since then. But, you know, thank God. But I tell you, I've had some storms, and most of us have gone through the storms in your lives. 
one way or another. Either family, uh, boys and children, uh, father and mother, or brothers and sisters, or family relationships, or your finances, or your uh, situations that you can't do anything about. The main thing in the midst of all of it, it says in verse 28, Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. I like that, don't you? He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Now look at verse 30. Then are they glad, because they be quiet. Don't you love the time when the storms are kind of ceased, and the winds have ceased, and the waves are still are not roaring anymore, and the sea is a calm? Have you ever seen the, the sea when it was just a, like a sheet of glass? I've seen it when it was, the waves would toss 20 feet high, and almost... Uh, capsize the ship. On the other hand, I've seen it when it just looked like a uh, sheet of glass out there. Not a ripple on it. And then look, look at this. So, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. He bringeth them unto their desired haven. They reach the land. Remember John 6 where the disciples were on the sea and the sea arose by a great uh, wind that blew. John chapter 6 verse 18 so when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and look, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. When Jesus gets in the boat, you reach your destination, and you reach it safe and sound. Aren't you glad tonight that Jesus in the, is in the ship or boat of your life so that He's guaranteed that you'll reach the other shore? It's like Paul when he says, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. I have a desire to lift anchor from this earthly shore and anchor on the other side and to be with Christ, which is far better. And that's exactly what he was talking about. He used that kind of language. To depart meant to lift his mooring, his anchor, and his mooring from this Earthly shore and anchor on the other side. Well, you know, in the midst of all the storms of life, we have this assurance that the Lord's going to bring us through whatever they are, and eventually we're going to reach that heavenly shore. We're going to be there. You may say, well, preacher, it looks like I'm not going to make it because there's too many storms, too much persecution, there's too many tr troubles, there's too many problems. And I have too many problems myself. But the Lord guarantees our safe arrival on the other side at the destination. Well, anyway, we're going down. Look at this in verse um, 31. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. You had that in verse 21. 21 and now 31. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Why wouldn't men praise the Lord for His goodness? Because of all that He has done for us. And then it says in verse uh, uh, 33, no, 32. Let them exalt Him also in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. Where are you, where are you to go to praise the Lord? Where are, you, where are you to show your thanks to God? In the congregation of the people. These mariners, these sailors that have been brought through the storm, what would be the best thing for them to do? To show up in the house of God with the people of God? And praise Him in the assembly of the elders. And when God has delivered you through your troubles, where is the best place in the world that you can show appreciation to God but in the assembly of God's people? 
There's not a better place in the world. Because they're the ones that understand your thanks. The world doesn't understand. You can give that same thanks out in the, in the general area of, of the worldly society. And they say, what's that guy, a kook? But you come to the house of God and when you thank God, everyone knows and understands. They know that you really uh, are thankful. But if you do, do this out in the world... And there's a lot of people try that. It's kind of like casting your pearls before swine in a sense. Let's go on with this. Verse 33. He turneth rivers into wilderness and water springs into dry ground. Now he can make this, this, these rivers to dry up. God can cause the things that are good to turn bad. And the water springs into dry ground. A fruitful land into barrenness. For the wickedness of them that dwell therein. Why does he do these things? Because it's, a, it's for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. Sin brings famine in the land. Famine and drought. And in Amos chapter 4 verses 6 through 8 it says, Yet they have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. People will not turn to God in the midst of, of all the desolation that he brings to cause them to turn and repent. And in the book of Amos, as we just referred to it, he brought these things to try to get his people to, to repent and men to turn to him. And they wouldn't listen. In verse 35, he turneth the wilderness into standing water. He's able to reverse the situation. Look at that. He turneth the wilderness into standing water and the dry ground into water springs. And there he maketh the hungry to dwell that they may prepare a city for habitation. He sin, sin brings a famine in the land. And then he sends a blessing upon the land when men turn to him. Look at verse 37. And sow the fields and plant vineyards which may yield fruits of increase. See, we need God's blessings. We don't want to be like it says in the last part of verse, uh, uh, no, uh, verse 34. For the wickedness of them that dwell therein. Some people say, well, does it pay to serve God? It looks like it here, doesn't it? It looks like that the people that... that uh, refuse to serve the Lord and for wickedness that God is eventually going to bring judgment. And sometimes we wonder why that God blesses one people, one nation, and one family more than another. We've seen that happen in rural districts in, in the country. You can see one farmer over here and all of his wheat crop was eaten up with green bugs and other over there had wheat standing that high. Harvest 20 and 30 bushels an acre. You say, well, why didn't they get over there? I don't know, but God has control of it. And sometimes I've seen it to where that uh, you'd say, well, uh, can it happen just across of a fence line? I've seen it drawn just like across of a fence line. You heard me tell the story of old Dr. J. Harold Smith. He's down in Arkansas and had a little old four-acre cotton patch, you know, four or five acres. He said this old guy had a big cotton farm right next to him. And he said, I'm going to spray mine for bow weevils. Is that what the spray is? Bow weevils? Whatever. I'm going to spray that cotton. And he said, I want you to pay for your part of it. Dr. Smith says, I don't want any of it. He says, uh, Lord, I, I'm a tither. He says, what does that have to do with it? He says, I'll not suffer your uh, fruit, fruit to come before time, and I'll take care of your crops. Look in Malachi. Let me, let me read it for you. Let me read it for you. Look in Malachi. Chapter 3. Look here. It says, Verse 10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. Verse 10, And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now look. 
And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Look at that. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And Dr. Smith quoted that to this fellow. So he sent his airplane over, you know, and he sprayed his big old field. And the wind changed and blowed it all over there on that four and a half acres, five acres. I mean, just soused it good. And he knew it missed him. And so he had his airplane men to come and make another swath. And they did the same thing. The wind changed, blew it all over there again. He said, Dr. Smith, he says, you owe me for uh, spraying your field. He says, I told you I didn't want my field sprayed. He said, well, I sprayed mine in the wind chain and blew it all over there. And he said, I can't help it. I talked to the Lord. He's got charge of the wind. Hasn't he? Anyway, he said, that's the best crop he ever made. But the thing about it is, God has promised. I'd rather have God's blessings, hadn't you, than to be on the other end. It says... And so, verse 37, sow the fields and plant vineyards which may yield fruits of increase. He blesseth them also so that they are multiplied greatly and suffereth not their cattle to decrease. Again, they are minished and brought low. Now see, when they sin against God, God will diminish. They are minished and brought low uh, through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He pours contempt upon princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet he setteth the poor on high from affliction and maketh him families uh, like a flock. The righteous shall see it and rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Who is wise and will observe these things? Even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Let's look at Psalm 108. Psalm 108. It's another one we'll study. The warrior's praise and prayer. Notice verse 1. It says, O God, my heart is fixed. It's steadfast. It's uh, sturdy. It's stable. It's fixed. It's determined. My heart is fixed. Here's a strong determination. O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. You know, we need people with a strong determination. Remember, the Bible says Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not take the king's meat or the wine which he drank. He made a decision, said, I'm not going to do that. Sometimes we say, I'm not going to do that in the next sentence. Well, maybe. Well, what good did it do you to start compromising on the second uh, sentence out of your mouth when the first sentence you said, I'm determined? Doesn't do any good. You say, well, you may get along with people better that way. Well, maybe so. But you're not standing for God like Daniel did. Suppose Daniel says, I will not take of the king's meat nor the wine which you drank. Now come back a second time. Now, Daniel, please. Now, you know this is going to be ill favor with the king. You know you're not going to be the best, uh, uh, pop- you're not going to be popular if you take this stand. But Daniel didn't, he had one statement and that's where it was. I like people to stand for what they believe, see, regardless. And I'll tell you, through the years, you have to learn to do that. And especially in the ministry, you have to learn to do that. Daniel purposed in his heart. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. As far as God is concerned, there's no compromise. You remember, uh, old Pharaoh tried to compromise four times with Moses about the deliverance of the children of Israel. First, he says, you can go a little, don't go very far away. He said, Moses, you can go, but don't go very far away. Moses says, that's not what God says. Go three days journey. Bring all your sacrifices. And he says, you come completely out. 
And then the next time he says, well, you can go, but he says, leave your family here. You know, leave your little ones. And then he says, you can go, but just stay near. All kinds of compromises. Finally, he says, you can go even the three days journey to the Lord. You can go three days. But he says, leave your cattle and your herds and your flocks here. Oh, Moses says, no, because God, we don't know what God's going to require of us when we get over there. We may have, he says, he, we're going to take our sacrifices with us. See, the world will let you go so far as to prevent you from worshiping God. And see, their sacrifices were their means of worship, not only their livelihood, but they had to have sacrifices to present to God. See, the world will go along with you anywhere except you just don't worship the Lord. They'll go, they'll compromise on every hand. And that was his last attempt. And old Moses says, listen, we're going, we're going three days journey as the Lord our God commanded us and there shall not an hoof be left behind. He says, we're going to take all of our herds and flocks. We're going to take everything we have because we don't know what God wants of us and we're going to have it all at his disposal. You put it all at God's disposal and be have a strong determination. Oh God, my heart is fixed. I wish we had people today with a fixed heart, with firm convictions on the doctrines of grace and of faith. And when these cults come along and every wind of doctrine floats by, that they'll not hitch onto their wagon and follow along. But you find people who do that. And listen, if you take your stand for God, when these various cults are round about you and they're, they're on every hand, there's always someone got a new idea about religion. Give me the old time religion. It's good for Paul and Silas. It's good enough for me. See, you don't have to have a new one. The gospel hasn't changed. It's the same. The gospel is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. It's still the same. It's concerning that Jesus died for our sins, that He rose again the third day for our justification. And yet you've always got someone with a new idea. Well, I'm not against ideas if they're grounded and founded in the Word of God. But, by the way, you'll find that they're not new because the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. You see, it's just a development of certain ideas. But they were there all the while. Somebody says, well, computers are new. No, they're not. God made one up in your brain that's sometimes a little more accurate than the one that's going on there. At least it's easier to get into. But I'm just saying... Listen, it's very sensitive too. It knows exactly what's going on. If we were at our full force of mentality, God could bring something into our remembrance that, that we, we have no idea. Can you imagine? I'm 69 years old in March, March the 2nd. Can you imagine this brain and this thought and this mind going back to when you were three or four years old and recall, recalling incidents that happened here and on certain places, certain days, certain ways, and all you were doing? See, it'll do it. God has put it up there. And the only thing that's hindering us to work in full force is uh, the fact that we're growing older and the fact that uh, man uh, is a sinner and that finally it'll take its toll upon us and we'll uh, depart this life and be with the Lord, and then He'll make us know completely and totally and have complete understanding. If we look at God's Word, Oh, that my heart, oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise, even with my glory, with all that I have. Look at verse 2. We find here, zeal is required to do this. This is the warrior's praise and prayer. By the way, his praise is down through verse 5, and his prayer begins at verse 6. Look, in verse 2. 
He says, awake, psaltery, and heart. I myself will awake early. It takes a lot of zeal to worship and praise the Lord. We have to awake early. We have to awake, awaken ourselves. That doesn't necessarily mean early in the morning, though that's a good time to awake. But we need to be uh, more zealous. It says, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead. In Ephesians 5 verse 14. And Christ will give thee light. Verse 3 says, I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises unto thee among the nations. God's praise is to be sung not only among the people, but among the nations, wherever we are. Sometimes even in the camp of the enemy. And then we find in verse 4, the greatness of God's mercy. It says, For thy mercy is great above the heavens, and thy uh, truth reacheth unto the clouds. Thy mercy is great above the heavens. It says in Psalm 57 verse 10, For mercy is great unto the heavens. Psalm 57 verse 10. And we find His glory in verse 5. I mentioned, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens, and thy glory above all the earth. The glory is higher than the heavens. Remember, he told Moses that he could not see his face. Moses says, uh, God, I want to see your glory. I want to behold your glory. Moses says, God, let me behold your glory. And the Lord said to Moses, he says, Thou canst not see my face, for no man shall see my face and live. And he says, But I've prepared a place for you. He says, uh, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock, and when my glory passes by, I'll cover you with my hand. We sing a, a song. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. So, it's typical of Christ. We have a hiding place in Christ from the very uh, holiness of God. And so it came to pass when God's glory, when God passed by, that He let Him see His hinder parts, and He let Him see, just in a veiled fashion, His glory. We see through Christ, God the Father, but one day when this veil of flesh is lifted, Christ will help us to see God in all of His fullness. But in, as long as we're in this veil of flesh, we cannot see God in all of His uh, holiness and purity and goodness that we'd like to. Christ has revealed Him to us, but even so, we're still far short of what we need to be. Let's look at this. In verses uh, 6 through the rest of the chapter, we have uh, the warrior's prayer. Notice in verse uh, 6, That thy beloved may be delivered, save with thy right hand, and answer me. Deliverance is asked for, for his beloved. In Psalm 60, verse 5, it says, That thy beloved may be delivered. Jude tells us, Now unto him that is able to deliver us, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, Paul says. He is able. And he's able to deliver us. Then in verse uh, uh, six, uh, 7 it says, God has spoken in His holiness. I will rejoice, I will divide Shechem and meet out the valley of Succoth. God has spoken. His hope was based upon God's word. God has spoken. Back in the... 107th Psalm, remember the first verse we read. He sent His Word and healed them. That's one, Psalm 107, verse 20. God's Word. Remember the one that came to Jesus and He says, Just speak thy word and my son will live. Go thy way, thy son liveth. 
And He spoke the Word. And we find that uh, God's Word has power. God has spoken in His holiness. How is it He's spoken? In His holiness. He said, I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and meet out the valley of Sukkot. Shechem was due to reap her sins. In, in verse 8, Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim also is the strength of mine head, Judah is my lawgiver. The valley of Succoth was measured out to Israel. And Joshua said unto this people, I will divide the land. And even the border countries were claimed by the Lord, or for the Lord by David, Gilead, Manasseh, and all of these. We need to claim our inheritance too. Ephraim was a strong tribe, military-wise. Notice what it says about Ephraim. Ephraim is also the strength of mine head. Judah is my lawgiver. Ephraim the strong military uh, tribe and was military wise. And what about you and I as far as military is concerned of God's inheritance? You and I have to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ, aren't we? Remember Paul told Timothy, he says, be strong, be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us we need to put on the whole armor of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord in the power of His might. In Ephesians chapter 6. Then the rulers came from the tribe of Judah. Notice what it says here. Judah is my lawgiver. This is where the rulers came from. Both David and Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. David was of the tribe of Judah and Jesus of the tribe of Judah. Remember in the book of Revelation, the one that was found to be worthy to open the book. It says, the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to open the book. Loose the seals thereof. And he saw that that lion was a lamb. And he beheld, and there was in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, there was one that was seen as a lamb that had newly or freshly been slain. Slain in sacrifice. So in the future, we're going to see the one who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, Christ, is also going to be seen as a lamb who has freshly been slain. We talk about Calvary being some 2,000 years ago. And someday when we're glorified and in the presence of God, we're going to behold Jesus and recognize that He's the one that was slain for our sins. He's the one that's going to have the marks of our redemption. And it's going to refresh to us the fact that everything that we've enjoyed through this life and everything that we'll have in eternity was because Jesus came from heaven's glory and not only was virgin born and lived a sinless life, but he died. He died on the cross. And by the way, everything in heaven will glorify the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Every creature, every person. It says in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, it says, Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, nation, people, and tongue. So we're going to worship God for what he's done for us. And Worship Jesus for what He's done for us. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. Look in verse 9. It says, Moab, Moab is my washpot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Over Philistia will I triumph. He says, Moab is my washpot. The old washpot is spoken of in the sense that, you know, out on the farm you put that big old black pot out in the yard and put it on a couple of bricks or rocks or something. And build a big fire under it. That's the way you heated the water to wash the clothes. I'm sure that that has a bearing on relationship to what we're talking about. A wash pot. Didn't have this 
uh, you know, these gas water heaters or electric or anything else. You had to build a fire. And uh, in fact, it's connected with that kind of a, of a situation was the old uh, thorns that crackle under the wash pot. When you put some brush in there and thorns and stuff and you'd hear them crackling and popping. And that's what it, he, God says, Moab is my wash pot. He says, over Edom will I cast out my shoe. The proud Moabites were reduced to a place of, of slavery. And then Philistia, over Philistia will I triumph. David uh, expected complete victory over the Philistines. In fact, he took care of one of them, didn't he? The giant that came up. And David expected and, and sought and won complete victory over the Philistines. So our victory is over the forces of evil too. Verse 10, it says, Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? You know, David needed divine aid to capture the strong city of Edom. Petra. We need, we need God's help and aid to capture the strong cities that we have to face. We better be careful because the Bible says there's a lot of things we have to face, but pride goes before destruction and a haunty spirit before fall. So we have to fight the giants and the cities and the forces of evil, not only from without, but from within too. We have a lot of things to battle in our own lives. And we just as well expect the battle. I was talking to Jan the other night about battling in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 where uh, Peter says, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Well, what are you going to do about it? It says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith. Keep your faith. Stick to God's word. And when the devil starts giving you trouble, you stick to God's word. If he says, Well, uh, you know, uh, I've got you under my finger. Say, No. The Bible says, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. He says, well, I'm your accuser. It says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. The devil will come along and accuse you. And the devil will come along and try to cause you all kinds of problems. But the Lord's the one that is going to give you victory over all these forces. From without and from within. And most of our conflicts are really from within. We say, oh, the world gives me a lot of trouble. Not near as much as you have on that inside. I mean, you know, I can kind of handle the world once in a while because I can either ignore it or get away from it. But you don't get away from in here, do you? He's always present. And that inward battle is about as hard to fight most of the time as the outward battle. And so we need to learn that uh, he's the one that gives us the victory. And David needed divine aid to capture the strong city of Eden. We need God's help to ca capture the strong uh, cities that we have to take. Faith in God is the next thing uh, that we need to consider in verse 11. It says, Wilt not thou, O God, who hast cast us off, and wilt thou not, O God, go forth with our host? We need faith pleads with God for help. Even though we're unworthy, we need God's help. Wilt thou not, O God? Wilt thou not, O God? Twice it says, Go forth with our host. And then verse 12. It says, give us help from trouble. That's a good prayer, isn't it? Give us help from trouble. You know, David didn't mince words. He just spoke it out real plain. He said, I've got some troubles. Give us some help. 
You know, a lot of times we try to put it in a very eloquent, fashionable way and say, God, now if you'll do this and do that and do the other, and we use words about so long that we can hardly pronounce. And then, but God's, you know, David says, give us some help. We're in trouble. And he says, for vain is the help of man. I don't know where I'm going to get it if I don't get it from you. He says, man cannot help me. Remember the man at the pool? He says, when the water's troubled, Jesus says, will thou be made whole? And he says, he says, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. And he says, while I'm coming, another steps in before me. He says, no one else can help me and I can't even help myself. If we'll realize that our help comes from the Lord and trust Him and ask Him for it and know that man's help is in vain, then we'll be on the right track. The last thing I want you to give this. David had unlimited faith in, faith in God. He says, through God we shall do valiantly. It doesn't say we shall do valiantly, does it? It says, through God we shall do valiantly. Look at that. You know, a lot of people say, well, we're going to do valiantly. Well, how are you? Through God we shall do valiantly. For it is He that shall tread down our enemies. Who are we going to give the victory to? David's faith was in God. And yours and mine need to be in God if we're going to overcome and if we're going to deal with the storms and problems and troubles of this.